Welcome to The Allegorical Life. This is the podcast where we discuss the metaphors of life, leadership and everything in between. Welcome back to another episode of The Allegorical Life. My name's Jordan and as always, I'm here with Mark Crosweller. By way of introduction for those of you that don't know Mark, he's worked in crisis, security and emergency management for over 35 years. His experiences, both personal, professional, as well as his academic research, have taken him into the world of ethics, often intersecting with the worlds of philosophy and metaphysics. Mark often talks both nationally and internationally about these intersections and how they shape the way we think, speak and act. He talks about the ways that they can influence both the quality of our leadership and, more importantly, the quality of our lives. Well, Mark, it's great to be catching up with you again for another episode of the Allegorical Life podcast. Today, we're exploring some of the themes from your recent blog post, which was entitled The Long and Winding Road to Virtue, Traversing Human Fallibility. So you talk about the journey to becoming a complete human being. What does that mean and why should we all be on that journey? So I think to be a complete human being, according to many of the philosophers, both East and West, is, is to find a genuine sense of happiness to, to achieve a genuine sense of well-being and to flourish uh, as a fully human being, in other words, to maximise our potential and the opportunities that turn up in our lives. And if you sort of reflect on your own life experience or, you know, when you get up every day, what, what motivates you? It, um, yeah, seeking a sense of happiness is a motivator, wanting to be well or wishing to be well. Um, and wishing to find meaning and purpose, you know, the, the things that we do or the things that we engage in are, are have an importance or speak to what it is that we value either internally or place upon something externally. So it's a really, it's kind of like the engine room of the human soul um, to, to move us forward and we get enormously distressed when when we're not happy or when we're not well, or when we're not flourishing, and and that plays out in profound ways across the world in terms of poverty, displacement, uh, violence, war. Um, you know, there's so much that goes on in the world that's downright ugly, really, and and causes immense suffering to those who have to experience it physically, but also a lot of mental suffering to those who are witnesses to it and have a desire or wish for it to cease, but feel disempowered to do anything about it. So there's there's a lot to be concerned about and distressed by um, and I think that's true of everybody there's not a person on the planet that doesn't suffer on some level who doesn't get sick on some level and who you know struggles with the purpose and meaning of their life and don't, don't feel like they're flourishing so it's really just a, a question of degree and scale and complexity and and length of time that varies essentially but we all have that that existential you know worry. Um, but it's still important, so it it never goes away. It it, it shapes our life, you know, the, the the choices that we make, the paths that we take, and really, it's the extent of which we we I think we begin to understand that journey and that desire and what it really what those things really actually mean. What does it really mean to be happy, or what does it really mean to be well or to flourish? They're just big existential questions, um, but they're important. And I think as we get older they become even more important, not that we should attach to them or put any predetermined meaning to them or certainly, you know, judge them or judge our responses for not being right or not being or, or being wrong or whatever the case might be. But they're the classic existential questions, the big questions, how should I live? That's the that's the base that's the biggest question in ethics, you know, how should I live? What should I do? 
um, and we're always trying to answer them, Jordan. So I think that's why they become so important. Mark, in this blog post, you also talk a lot about fallibility. What is it and why shouldn't we all be completely disheartened by how often it turns up in our lives? So, so, what, so what is fallibility? So it's, it's an admission that we're not perfect, that there's a gap, um, that there's a gap in our information about the nature of reality, about the circumstances in which we find ourselves, about our capacity to respond to those circumstances, the fact that we're making perfect choices, the fact that we simply cannot be perfect and never will be. Uh, it's not to say we ought not pursue getting better. And and the thing about virtues are they are in themselves perfection. So that, in other words, you know, there's nothing wrong with them at all. There's nothing wrong with compassion or trust or kindness or generosity. It's just a matter of how you apply them. And that, that requires skillfulness and, and wisdom and competency and all those other things, and that's where the imperfections turn up. But, but you know, the virtues are the perfections, and we want to be identified that way in a pure sense. So we want to be seen as purely compassionate or, well, you know, whether we do or don't. I, th- I think some people would say, no, I would never want to be that way, but there's a part of the human mind that actually does desire that. So, so we're never going to get to perfection, but we need to move in that direction over the course of our life, and I think that that's why it's so important. So, so... Accepting that we're fallible takes the pressure off the need to be perfect. And there's a great saying that, you know, perfection is the enemy of the good. And I think that's very true. But but there's also the obligation on all of us, I think, to just get better. And, and ex- by accepting fallibility, it's accepting the need or the room for improvement. And if you kind of link it up to the pursuit of happiness, well-being and flourishing, then all of that is about getting better. As a, as a person, it's about saying, look, what, what's really important to me and how do I make the biggest contribution to, to those who I care about in my life and how do I derive the greatest sense of happiness from doing that? So that's that's all really part of the ethical journey. And then when we act unethically or we speak unethically or we think unethically, um, the feeling's not good. We know straight away that, you know, we, we're moving, we're in bad territory. We're, our minds start to become disturbed. Um, we start to kid ourselves or we start to, you know, convince ourselves that what we're doing is fine when we know deep down that it's not fine. You know, there's this thing that sits in the shadow of our, the corner of our minds or the shadow of our soul that says, really? Are you, you really you really want to do that? You're really going to go down that road? And often what we don't do is we don't think about the consequences of our actions. So as Paul Require said, the theologian and philosopher, you know, we have infinite desire to pursue, to pursue happiness and well-being and flourishing. Our desires for that state of mind and state of play, if you like, are infinite. But we have incredibly finite knowledge about the consequences of those desires. So we often head in a direction on the basis of trying to seek happiness, but it's a destructive path. It's, it's unethical or it's amoral or it could even be immoral, but it's not a good path. It's, it's fraught. But we, we either don't know about it or we don't want to know about it or we're too optimistic about the consequences of taking those actions. Now, sometimes we know about that and sometimes we don't. So sometimes that, that seed of doubt sits in the mind, in the periphery of our, of our mentality or our mental vision, and we just choose not to look at it. And sometimes it's so deep and it's so hidden, we, we actually can't see it. So we're just not mindful of the, of the potential for the consequences at all. And that's where fallibility essentially comes from. So we trip and stumble and fall into the future through the things that we think, say, and do. 
And part of my argument is to say, look, you don't want to be fearful about the future and you don't want to be caught up in endless contemplation about the possibilities of what you might do next. That's ridiculous. But it is to say that what has life taught me about these these circumstances or similar circumstances, what happened, you know, were they pleasant or unpleasant, were they good or, or indifferent or bad, and do I really want to do them again? Um, because life has a habit of coming around in cycles or circumstances kind of come around in cycles and say, well, let's, let's see whether you've got better this time. So we've all had the experience where we kick ourselves and go, oh, yet again, I've done the same thing I told myself I would never do. And that's just being fallible, having pat- patterns of thought and, you know, processes of mind that continue to put us on this cycle where we just make imperfect choices or, you know, less than optimal choices. So that's really where fallibility sits, Jordan. And by accepting that we are fallible, I think it takes away the arrogance of ethical leadership. Some some leaders who pursue ethical leadership can, can be quite arrogant or judgmental. Um, and the, the literature cautions very much against doing that or being that way if you're going to pursue ethical leadership. And I agree with the literature 100% that you want to be the best person you can be, not the, not the most right person you can be or, or the most judgmental because it just implies a level of hubris and arrogance, which for most people is quite off, off-putting. So, so fallibility to me is a pathway to humility and it's a pathway to wisdom because it says, look, more to learn, more to do, more to experience, um, more joy to be had, more happiness to be found, more well-being to be experienced, but through wisdom, through learning, through the life path, through the journey. It's what Aristotle and the Buddha both said, and I you know, talk about these two philosophers a lot because I find them uh, incredibly inspiring and, and articulate in how to describe the path of life, is it just get better as you go. Just, just, just learn, learn. You know, stop and think and reflect and learn about what you just went through and what was good about it, what wasn't good about it. You can't do it every moment of every day, but uh, but every day you need to spend a few moments just thinking about what did you learn, what did life serve up, and what did you do about it, and how did you make you know your world a better world and the world of others a better world as well. So I think it's invaluable, Jordan. I think accepting fallibilities a relief really because it just says look you're human you're not going to be perfect give that up just get better mark is there anything else you'd like to touch on in terms of living and leading ethically i think leading and living ethically is it's it's hard work because because we are imperfect and it you know forces us to go inwards and have a look and and get better and you know let go of those things which we still desire we still want to do them we still want to pursue them you know, for some people, it's copious quantities of alcohol, for example, and you know, good red wine every night, or whatever the case might be. But uh, and so we know that it's not good for us. Uh, we 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 really desire it anyway, and we know it's not going to end in good in a good result if we continue to do so. So, I mean, drinking a glass of red wine is probably not an ethical issue, just quietly, unless you unless it causes grief to somebody else. But to make the case in point that we're still going to have desires to do things that are not helpful to ourselves or to other people. <clears throat> so in other words, they'll bring harmfulness to ourselves and they'll bring harmfulness to other people. And we get to know that that's the path. And we, on one level, we don't want to follow that path, but on another level we do because we're so attached to the desire to be that way or to do that thing. That's what makes ethical leadership so difficult because you've got to pull it up before you create too much harmfulness to yourself or others and choose a different path, choose a different way of being 
or a different way of thinking, which is less harmful or more compassionate or more generous or more virtuous, whatever term you want to give it, that just takes hard work because you're pushing against the tide of desire and you're pushing against the tide of habit. And desires are endless and can be extremely powerful in the human mind. They can be all convincing and all consuming that that desire that that you're attached to is the only way you're going to find your happiness or be well or flourish. And it's rarely true. It's not to say it's, it's, it's never true, but it's rarely true that things that you desire outside of yourself um, are going to bring you the happiness that you think that you need. So, you know, from a Buddhist perspective, all happiness derives from inside the mind. You know, anything, anything that you place happiness upon is temporary. And, and somewhat illusory anyway. <clears throat> the thing that you think is going to make you happy uh, actually doesn't do so. So so ethic, ethical leadership is difficult because you're pushing against the tide of desire because you're having to pull yourself up from pursuing a path or stepping down a road that you c- have convinced yourself is going to give you some sense of happiness or relief or sense of well-being or purpose and meaning. And it will probably give you those things to some degree, but it will also give you grief or give other people grief. It'll bring harm, harm upon yourself or it'll bring harm upon somebody else or something else. And that's the great challenge of ethical leadership. How do you navigate those pathways? Because the, because what's underpinning it is the desire to be a certain way or to do a certain thing on the basis of the pursuit of happiness. And that's why it's so hard, Jordan. Um, but we just get to know as we get older, I think, and navigate through life that some of those desires, looking back upon reflection, were really unhelpful and caused a lot of grief and grief that we could have otherwise avoided ourselves and other people had we have thought a little bit more about it. Um, and for many people, the ethical life is just too difficult. They, you know, For many leaders, they just they really struggle with it. It's just not a pathway they choose to follow. Um, and those leaders can be quite destructive, quite harmful. Um, and they can bully, they can intimidate, you know, they can bulldoze. Um, and they can't get off that path. They're, they're attached to it. You know, they pursue desire through those through those means and functions. And they cause enormous amounts of grief. And um, all the people I talk to in lectures and seminars and other things, you know, desperately desire leaders to be more ethical um, and specifically more compassionate, more generous, kinder, more patient. Uh, you know, more virtuous, essentially. it's It comes up all the time, uh, this desire for leaders to be more of more virtuous than they currently are at the moment. And there are some good examples of good leaders, of course, but, but there seems to be a bit of a gap in society at the moment in institutional life about the nature of virtuosity. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of The Allegorical Life. If you're enjoying the podcast, you might like to post a review on Apple Podcasts and help others to discover and enjoy the podcast as well. See you next time.